Hey everyone, and welcome to Patronage, a new limited edition show from the team behind Patron, an early stage venture fund investing in a broader gaming thesis. Join me, Amber Atherton, and my partners, Brian Cho and Jason Yeh, as we host roundtable discussions with leading CEOs, founders, and industry experts to debate the challenges and ideas that will shape the future of the internet. This show is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Well, I think the Christian faith is a, a, is a re, really unique thing in the fact that inherently it's a daily individual practice, inherently it's a communal practice, um, and inherently it's a, an evangelistic practice in the sense that it's the job of Christians to spread the word and grow the, and grow the community. And I always talk about productizing those three features. And community is such a core pillar that, yes, it's important to practice it on your own and that is um a core part of the faith but being able to support the community around you um be accountable to the community around you and encourage the community around you and learn from them and um worship with them is also such a core thing so we always were very intentional about building a product for the individual first and then layering on the community element around a product that they were already engaging with. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Patronage. I'm Amber Atherton, partner at Patron, and today I am joined by Henry Costa, the co-founder and CEO of Glorify, the number one daily Christian worship app with over 2.2 million users. Henry and his co-founder Ed have raised 84 million in venture capital from firms like Andreessen Horowitz and SoftBank, and now employ 70 people. Very excited to have him on the show today. We are going to be diving into how you apply lessons from social and gaming into your product, growing engaged communities, and making good habits a routine. Enjoy. Very excited to dive into Glorify today and this incredible product that you've built that really does feel like a game. Um, People can dive in no matter where they are on their faith journey, find a sense of community, Can we start by talking a bit about where your passion for connecting others came from? I think it's something that's that I've that I've always been that I've always had innately that's been driven out of me probably recently as we look at how technology has changed so dramatically in the last 20, 20 plus years. And if we look at the stats around the young. Although we're far more connected in a digital sense, we're far less connected in a real sense and loneliness is on the rise. And that can be seen in the workplace. It can be seen in, in social settings. So the idea for me of using technology as a force for good in connecting people together to try and reverse some of those problems that we're seeing so that technology really gives a very um, healthy balance to people's lives so people can have meaningful connections as opposed to just superficial followings or likes or connections but something that's meaningful and rooted um is a is a passion for me and it's been a passion since i since i started out in my my tech journey and i'm one of my you know my big driving forces around everything is using tech to drive positive societal change and um that's that's what we're doing in communities right at the heart of that Amazing. For for folks who are just listening and not watching the video, they might not be able to see the map of Africa behind you, um, which I I know like played a role in your story. 
Um, can you talk a bit about how how you ended up in Africa and, and what sort of work you did there along that thread of convening people? It's, Africa's been a huge part of my story. It's a big part of my life. I'm um, passionate about the continent. So my father is uh, South African and that's, so I've got a lot of family down there. So I used to spend a lot of my school holidays um, with my with his family out there and and we used to travel around the continent since i was young so i always had this kind of bug for the the continent that i couldn't couldn't shake and um i decided to go to tanzania and build a trucking company and then um on on my on my way into doing that and while i was researching it i met a i met someone in a bar um who convinced me to join uh, their founding team of a company called Jumo.World, which is a fintech business that provides financial services on feature phones, non-smartphones. Well, that's what it, it did do at the start. Um, so insurance, le- uh, savings, lending, um, all based on alternative, alternative sources of data for people who are unbanked by the Western banking model that didn't really apply to 80% of the African population. And so that that's what we did. There were five of us, and we had this, you know, amazing journey. All the, all the strive, all the fun that a startup really, really should be. And I lived in Tanzania, Zambia, South Africa. Operated most of the sub-Saharan markets, and just adored it. And um, we had, it was just operational heavy in a really tough environment. And that that company um, did really well. We, we had amazing growth and we were in the right place at the right time and got first mover advantage. It was incredibly exciting, um, thing to be, to be part of and realizing some of the impact that you can drive with technology, because prior to that, the only way that you could, if you weren't, if you didn't have an income statement, you didn't have a proof of address, you couldn't be part of, uh, the Western banking models, which had just been planted on Africa. So the majority of people, 70, 80% in, in a lot of countries were excluded from that system. So they either had to go to loan sharks, uh, which is obviously not healthy and not sustainable, or they went to microfinance operations, which were predominantly non-profit funded. But the problem with them, it was low transaction volumes and quite small loans. So it didn't it was very hard to make it work in a commercial business and you needed to walk a long way to get to the um, to the outlet or the or the branch where you could do that and what we did was building it through your phone because everyone has a phone and the data that everyone had on the phone we partnered with the telcos we looked into that data and created scorecards around that um, and it was essentially built on trust that if we give you a loan you'll pay it back because we believe that you want to get access to a bigger loan in in the future. And it was very, we called them nano loans. They started at $2 and went to 200. And then we had savings products, insurance products. And a lot of the lending was to small businesses. And we would see these amazing stories of now I can sell, instead of having to sell a pallet of tomatoes at my stall and then, and then walk to go and get more or to take out a loan to get more from the local um, microfinance branch, I could take a loan, buy two pallets, set them up, and then I can repay the repay the loan that day and I can just start selling in, in much more bulk. And so that small to medium enterprise um, or sole entrepreneur was really one of the bedrocks of, of what we built the business on. In- incredible. I uh, Well, maybe later in the show, I'll, I'll give you a, a sample of my South African accent. Uh, <laughs> great, really? great country. Uh, just amazing to hear how that time influenced you and, and, and 
really sort of threads through to your story now of sort of empowering grassroots uh, communities to come together. And actually something that many people might not know about you is that you served in the special forces for a while. And I think the army really sets the bar when it comes to discipline, following a routine. Are there any habits that you've maintained from your time in the army? Uh, obviously, a b- big part of, of what you're building now is, is helping people create these positive habits in their, in their daily life. So just curious if, you, if there's any subtle ways in that it shaped how you've built the product, scaled the team. Yeah, I mean, probably my wife would consider them all annoying habits, the ones that have, have, have lasted um, my obsession with equipment husbandry and ensuring that all our kit and equipment is is well maintained and cared for and that um everything is is planned a little probably on the overkill side just in just in case so um i you know so much of that stays with you and it stays with you in your you know almost in your dna level that it's it's and muscle memory that sometimes you, you just don't necessarily think about it but what the outputs of that experience for me was so great in terms of understanding who you really are as a person because you're broken down in essence to nothing and then over time built back up, back up and knowing that about yourself and knowing that about your formation and your foundations I found so helpful especially then taking that on into an African context which is a high operational logistics market and a really tough place to operate where the learnings that operations were you, the the output of bad operations could be so critical in a military context that you taking that on into a business context you just over plan for the, those ops to make sure everything's solution so everything's good so the outcome is is smooth and that was really that was just a big thing in everything that we did because we we really labored on the operational element in markets and that was one of the reasons why why we succeeded and you might even say we went overboard um but i think that was important given uh, the importance of um of getting that right in in the you know, african african context and i think then you know when i look at the re- the recruitment element and how i've taken on a lot of those habits and how we look at building teams and recruiting individuals and traits that we look for what i was amazed in that time was the over the selection process was how good the 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 training team and the recruiters were in selecting the individuals that passed so we had 100 people at the start of our course and there were four that passed and when i looked at the other three i just totally agreed with everything that or the way that they and the rationale they had come to picking those three and why the 96 at different various stages hadn't hadn't got through and that was something that amazed me because i assumed that when you're with and surrounded by everyone during this process you know them far more you would think oh but they're not going to see that they're not going to see that flaw or that weakness but i think when you're when everyone's kind of broken down and everyone you know really shows um those little bits they know which bits are which bits are, are fake because everyone has elements of mistakes and everyone has elements of failure. It's impossible not to in that context, but which bits are ones that um, there's a red line that you can't go over and which are the bits that 
actually that's fine and that's expected and that's tolerated, um, which I thought was amazing. So it's building up for me as I look into recruiting and team composition is A, the diversity of skill set within a team and to make sure you've got people that are building the team up as opposed to almost fighting amongst each other because there's overlap of skill set but people who all contribute in their own way and team composition is a big thing for me and I think super important. And then looking at, well, what are the, before I hire anyone, what are the red lines that in terms of whether it's previous experience, um, character traits, um, have they been in certain sizes of business, et cetera, and then looking into what actually they've done and where they've led it and creating those red line elements because then I don't waste time but when you're pushed by a recruiter to say, well, you've got to look at this person because they, if they haven't met those criteria, then, you know, then we can move on to really filter it down because you know what you need. And, and the more planning that you do around that, the easier the process is in the, in the end. So I, I think it's a lot of it's been subjective and learning for me in a way, but trying to objectify it to help the rest of the team in that process um, all align on what we really want. And then finding the person who fulfills that criteria in the best way. Hmm, so interesting. I, I think, you know, so many founders are uh, followers of Jocko Willink and the, the mental toughness that you need, whether it's from the, you know, the Navy SEALs or the, the Army and how that contributes to your founder journey. Uh, curious, like, has that contributed? You know, when you think about giving advice to, to other founders, like, how, how do you cultivate that sense of mental toughness? resilience because glorifies your third startup now it's i mean it's been a huge part of it because i think it's a huge part of me and and i think the startups take you know that that journey takes takes all of you you know there's nothing really left on the table or on the side so anything that's impacted you until that date you're going to take into that into that startup the good things and the and the bad things and and for me it was always trying to understand where i'm weak so i can hire people i think it's quite easy to understand where you're strong but where you're weak so i can hire people to fill in those voids and to to help me on on the journey to make us a rounded a rounded team so let's just go back to 2019 so i mean today there are obviously many successful venture-backed social and content platforms you know ones dedicated to gamers different passionate communities but you saw this opportunity within the Christian community that you felt was really underserved by technology. Um, how, how did you go about validating that idea and just the sort of initial idea? Well, I think that the initial, the initial concept was just born out of my own personal frustration. So there was a, a problem for me and a data point of one, being a Christian my whole life, family was very active in the in the local church and always wanted to do something with it and I was trying to do my daily quiet time um, with my wife and we would sit down every morning that was really important time for us but we were increasingly struggling um, and we you know finding the right guides resources where we were interpretations commentaries it was just tricky and I just turned to her and I said there's got to be something that can help make this fun make it enjoyable and encourage us to do it um, and that was the seed, really. And from that moment on, I I looked into the market, and that was when I thought, "Wow, why is there why is there nothing out there that's that's got the best teams working on this?" And there was systemic issues within the Christian world about how things were funded. Either it was 
through individual churches, which meant you ha- kept having to repeat technology and it was for a specific congregation or it was donor funded and often the staff would be subsidized it would be essentially subsidized or taking a salary cut to do it in a mission-backed business so the best people and the best minds weren't addressing this huge problem and that's what i tried to do and build a team about in the same way that you would build any business um, and raise from the best VCs around to build the best um, company full of the best humans to to solve a to solve a problem and that problem I found out through market research wasn't just mine alone um, it was something that you know when I started speaking to friends and family and then widened the net to people I didn't know and then different geographies to um, and I think there's a certain amount of you don't have to do too many uh, surveys to really get to start understanding what the picture lies after after you've done a few the value add each new one comes in is actually kind of diminishing returns but the first few are really eye-opening and interesting and it and it just showed that my problem wasn't unique and uh, yeah as i often say is the christian world is is resource heavy but ux light and there's resources everywhere and you can go on the internet and you can go on youtube and you can find resources abundant but how do you know where they're from how do you know are they tailored to you? Are they personalized to you? Are they bite-sized and curated into your journey in one place? And so that's what we do is we we create amazing content, but we also package it. And that packaging is the UX um, to help people have a really streamlined and simple process that encourages them to do it. And, and hopefully they really in, enjoy it and, and find it fun. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, faith is such a personal journey. So being able to have a, a companion, uh, you know, app that's taking you through that is is really special. I uh, so so you met your first kind of co-founders in a bar. How how did you and Ed, your co-founder of Glorify, meet? So I met Ed. We did a company before Glorify called Grasp, um, which is in the HR tech space, all about connecting people within large organisations. And we we were put in touch by a mutual friend. Ed was very young at that time. He was 18. I was probably 30, so it was about six years ago. And in our first meeting, Ed said, will you be my co-founder? Um, and, and, I, and I said, don't, don't be daft. Um, and, but I you know, helped out in an advisory position for about six months. And then we got on so well, and we were thinking about the same things together. We had a great balance of skill sets, um, and we were a really great complement to to each other and and so we decided to do grasp together which was which was awesome and that's a business we we sold a couple of years ago and then i told him about you know this passion of mine of, of glorify and and we started brainstorming and looking at the market together and realizing you know the timing not only was the idea good but the timing was was right now and that's what we did it's just so crucial to get the the timing right because back in in 2019 i guess part of this was the era of hillsong like these big sort of celebrity communities coming together in physical spaces um so yeah just sort of i guess it's just impossible to time the market perfectly but you guys clearly felt like this was a good a good moment um, to bring in a more like delightful tech experience to what was happening in popular culture at the time, right? Certainly, I think there's, and I think the timing, the, the timing was incredibly fortunate um, from a lot of ways, and but also 
I think it could have been five years earlier. It could have, you know, the market's crying out for it. I think the market's crying out for it more. It was more in 2019 than it was five years before, but it just, there's a 15 year lag or there was, we're seeing a lot of catch up now, but there was a you know, 15 hit lag between Christian tech and what was offered outside of that. And that's what was the bridge and the gap we were looking to, to really fill. So you, I've heard that you're a fan of apps like Duolingo that have turned, you know, language learning into a game. And we actually recently had them on on the podcast. I'm I'm curious, are there any other social products or games that you find inspiring in terms of creating this delightful user experience? So many. I learned so much from from seeing um, everything out there. I think in the sports industry, you've got You've, you've got amazing social and community um, products, whether that's Strava or Peloton, or where they've you know taken our innate competitiveness and built that into actually a rather a rather awesome community. And so I really I really like what they're doing. If you look at Candy Crush, Sweet Capital were investors in ours, so it's been amazing to have access to to them and and how they how they built that and obviously that's um just it wasn't an extraordinary success and taking some of the learnings around around that pokemon go because it's the blend of that physical and digital and i i think that's really important i always see the future of glorify to be a physical manifestation of an inherently digital product as well um and then i i think looking at the a lot of the chinese companies and the chinese ux if we look at alipay or um WeChat, they're, they're amazing. I'm always looking at that UX in, in China and Connie Chan from A16Z, who's our GP there, has been amazingly helpful. And that's what she specializes in, in looking at some of the UX in China, what's worked really well there and, and how we can bring that to the to the Western market. Are there, are there any specific insights you can share there that you've seen in the, in the China market or like the specific features that have inspired you? Uh, recently, in in the app that you've now brought in, well, I think you can't go, but you, you can't go much past when you're going into looking at China is is looking at WeChat and what an incredible story that is, and trying to understand why that hasn't been done in the in the US market or in the Western market. Why is that true super app where you could you don't need another app on your phone? You could just operate. Um, with with WeChat in, in China, but we don't have anything comparable. But we are starting to see some of the larger players move into that into that space. So I think that's really interesting to learn about about that and how that operates. And then you know, Alipay is a great example. It's it's native um, gamification. It was all built around gamification, as opposed to gamification being an afterthought on top of it. So if we think of its tree that grows with you that wasn't an afterthought that was everything else was built around that and that's really powerful because that becomes the central focus of of everything that's done and i think that's a really nice way of conceptualizing gamification that it's it's the uh, at right at the core of what you're building i i love that i mean certainly how we see the world at patreon is that it's day one it's built to feel like a game there are core game loops there is progression there's everything that makes you feel like you're having a very fun, engaging, playful experience. And I think that is what's going to set this next generation of 
consumer social companies apart is whether they are built from first principles day one to feel more like a game. Um, and, and you obviously started like that, borrowing concepts from social and gaming like streaks to help users build their their daily worship habits. Um, I, I'm curious, like, how has your thinking evolved there from the, the individual experience versus the multiplayer experience? Because there's, there's now this sort of plethora of other features within the app. It's not just about me, like logging my, my streaks. Um, yeah. Curious how you think about those, those two player experiences. Well, I think the Christian faith is a, is a re, really unique thing in the fact that inherently it's a daily individual practice. Inherently it's a communal practice. Um, and inherently it's a, an evangelistic practice in the sense that it's the job of Christians to spread the word and grow the, and grow the community. And I always talk about productizing those three features and community is such a core pillar that yes, it's important to practice it on your own. And that is um, a core part of the faith, but being able to support the community around you, um, be accountable to the community around you and encourage the community around you and learn from them and, um, worship with them is also such a core thing so we always were very intentional about building a product for the individual first and then layering on the community element around a product that they were already engaging with hmm. and in the beginning did the community live within the app or where did you think about the home for the community being like on other social platforms or just natively within the app natively within within the app and around social channels and um you know it when we when we grew in latin america we had amazing success but primarily in, in brazil and seeing the communities that popped up around glorify organically was just it was just incredible and they turned up in different digital platforms different social platforms um within the app or in areas that surround the app. And that was really cool to see because that was um, organic and not, not necessarily driven, driven by us. Because mm, I think it's one of those challenging things where you need to prioritize where, where you architect and build the community. Should you prioritize engineering resources to put that within your experience gated within the app? Or how does that live on a Facebook group, a WhatsApp group, Instagram uh, so good to hear that it sounds like you had the balance of the community organically talking about you on these other platforms, sharing screenshots, and then having a deeper connection with other users within the app. Is that right? Whether, where it sits all depends on, on so many pieces around, you know, the individual products and what the, what the products are doing. And for some products, it's actually, it's brilliant for people to be speaking about it on other channels because it's great helping brand awareness and it's and it's gaining loyalty that's the top platform as well but for some it's it the, everything wants to be kept within the within the experience and pulling everyone into that experience and i think both have their merits but if it does sit off the platform then you also want to know that it contributes to your your core product otherwise what's the what's the purpose you know what's the purpose of having a an enormous tiktok audience if you never can convert them or you never can drive enough awareness or it's not actually um, 
leading to what you're inherently doing and where your business model lies. So each company, I think, is so different, but but wherever you build community, it has to it has to serve the your primary core focus. I think that's such an important point because community can feel very nebulous and distracting. And unless you focus on, okay, building community within my app is going to contribute to session time, daily active users, uh, then you can get just very distracted with just, I don't know, monitoring community growth numbers or engagement. And when it comes to your board meeting, you don't have anything tangible to say (laughs) about the investment in that piece. Um, But yeah, I guess like it's, it's faith is incredibly social. And, you know, in the same way that games bring people together, it feels like you both looking at social in a very different way. It's like building these tight knit engaged communities that are genuinely meaningful and purpose led. I think for a younger generation, the, that the old model of, you know, Facebook, massive network, consumer product, social growth doesn't really seem to be working. So how, how, what's your take on this? Well, are we seeing the unbundling, you know, in the so of the of the social space? And I think the younger uh, generation is far more discerning about what they what they download. Whereas millennials and you know, older millennials just thought, "Oh, wow, this is cool," uh, and and jumped on it because it was new and it was innovative. And now that we're surrounded by them, the younger generation is much more discerning about what they go. They want it to be authentic. They want to be able to trust it. They want to know what's underneath it who the team are, are they sustainable, are they all of the, the tenants around how it's been built is really important for them. And, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier about loneliness growing, but connect, so, is, so are digital connections. And why are those two things growing where you would, you would be hoping loneliness going down as connections were going up? And I think the future is about fostering um, more engaged connections and, and, and real community and community that is not just um, around a digital connection, but it's around a communication. It's around a depth of communication that is above and beyond the superficial conversations that are happening, even on the messenger platforms. And often that is, we can do that when, when we build platforms that are more specific to a specific niche, because there's a commonality that people are there there's an interest that people are there for that they want to dive deeper in and connect on a deeper level with around a commonality of interest. Now, faith is such a such a big one for that because it immediately opens up um, a layer of depth beyond just sharing a meme. Yeah, it's funny sharing I, memes are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we all <laughs> love a meme, but I think the yeah the foundations of having utility and belonging are just so important in community building. And I I couldn't agree more with what you were saying that it feels like these older social platforms, one, obviously not resonating with the younger generation, but two, as more and more people get on the internet, you have to find these niche pockets where you can truly connect with others. And uh, a lot of the time it, it may seem niche, but like you said, faith is certainly not 
niche on a global scale. Um, One thing that really stood out to me when I was doing research for this episode is how many reviews the app has, you know, 300,000 plus. I was scrolling through the app store and I just want to read you one that stood out to me, um, which is uh, when I see my little candles and how frequently my street for prayer is, it motivates me to try more each day. And I just think that's so lovely because it speaks to how when you create a habit and it feels like, you know, streak, it's it feels like progression and a game. It really does motivate you to continue and, and be more engaged in the app and the community. I guess, you do you see reviews like this all the time? Like, how, how, how does that land with you? Well, I think you've always got two two sets of people. Some people love gamification and some people inherently don't. But if it's done in a in the right way, people and it's and it matches the product that that you've got, then people really like it. And I think it adds to that that delight, that enjoyable experience. Whereas previously, I think a lot of people struggled with, say, doing a daily quiet time because they knew they should do it. But then when they got to doing it, they were struggling with the resources. They had a bit of guilt around the fact they hadn't done it the day before. And it was, it was, it was a bit of a, it's a bit of a weight um, to get into that rhythm. Now that's only talking about some people and some people didn't feel that. But if you, if you put a gamified engine, it just acts as an encouragement to you to do it. It helps you do it um, and gives you that bit of joy and and fun as you're as you're doing it at the same time and that's all we're trying to do and yeah it's gone down really well and and people love it and in general people are asking for more and i think we're only at the start so Mm, interesting okay so should we talk about the business model how how do you think about that the um, the core aspect of the of the business model is monetizing for the, the customers where they expect to be where they expect to pay, see value there, and I think that comes down to the authentic authenticity of 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 what the discerning younger generation are after. Is we want a product that's fully transparent, that when you pay, you're expecting to pay for it. You know exactly what you're paying for it, and you can see the investment and time that's gone into creating that, and you you also gain a huge amount of value from it. And that value should be outsized over the dollars that you put in for it. And so those are the that really the the key formations of the app of what we're of what we're doing. We love certain parts of the app being being free. We love people to be able to do um, their daily devotionals every day uh, for free. But we also we have premium content and lots of other services that we plug in that people can um, that people want and they expect to pay for them because um, the value that they get is so much greater than the dollars they have to spend on it and that's always been our belief and it's it's worked well for us today i i i think that one thing to unravel is how you think about the physical church experience alongside creating this virtual place for your users to convene i think we spend so much time considering that you know Gaming is a force for good. And for a younger generation, when you are in Discord or Roblox, that's just hanging out with your friends where you share a common interest. And it's not even necessarily playing a game. It's just a place where we are hanging out. So I'm so fascinated to, to understand how you think about uh, that 
balance um, of yeah the the, the physical church are you you know the, the digital church does that glorify? No, we are not. <laughs> we're not. We're not a digital church, and and that's and that's definitely a really important tenant and founding principle that we that we had. Um, the church is amazing, a huge supporter of it, but it, it has got a huge amount of, of challenges as we see denominations further fracturing um, scandals within the church are blasted over social media and exacerbated so that everyone knows knows about it so the the church as a whole because it's so many different organizations has struggled to get a huge amount of positive PR which I think is is really sad because there's so many amazing things that that that's happening within it but at the same time it's it's normally the the world wants to focus on the on the bad things and and that's what people people hear about and it when often i look at the church and i and i look at the the formation of the early church 2000 years ago the church was the most viral product of all time and it happened in a physical community there were no product managers um and that is one of the most incredible things that I think we've seen um, in human history is how something just grew in and of itself because of the inherent um, beauty and everything that it was that, that it imbued and its its value. So that's the way I think of the of the church and the way I think of glorify working alongside it is I want to help the church engage their congregation. I want to help people um, go to church if that's the right step for them. I want to help the church reach a wider audience. I want to work, um, and we do work with with churches and support the church and love the church. And a lot of things that it's the church's role to talk about, but it's not glorified's role to talk about. Um, and I think with the younger generation, the statistics around them attending church is really negative. Um, and I think it's the accessibility and the approachability of, of of going onto an app and exploring faith on an app is much easier than in a church. So I, I almost see it as rather than them wanting to explore and going into the four walls of a church, then that first step um, is likely to be glorified. And then they go into a church at that point, even when they are they are ready. And there'll be some people who will stay on glorify um, where there are some people who will go to church, but Glorify will will be their community and their support and their um, daily practice at the time between Sunday. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Sunday because this was my sort of fun question for you. Sunday, traditionally day of worship, is that your highest day of daily active usage? <laughs> it's our lowest. Um, <gasps> Shock. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I Mondays Monday through Thursday are the are the highest, and as you get to the weekend, I think people's routines and habits are, th- are thrown out of the out of the window, and so Saturday and Sunday is actually our our lowest. We do quite a, a bit to try and in, encourage that um, through through gamification and getting badges of your weekend warrior badge, etc. But I think oh. if, especially if people have gone to church on Sunday, then they've also don't feel the need to to come on to glorify 
Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, shout out Weekend Warrior Badge. That seems like, uh, yeah, the one, <laughs> the, one, the one to get. Um, so the app has really progressed. It's no longer just, you know, the, the streaks, the calendar tracking tool. There's a journaling component, live exclusive Christian music. How do you think about introducing these new features to the product? Like, where, for example, where did the idea for live music, uh, exclusive music come from? Well, music's been at the core of and at the heart of Christian worship for forever. And so it's nothing new that we're, we're doing there. But I think we are also leveraging on a huge movement that, that happened in the last 30 years where Christian music went from hymns and very traditional um, songs to acoustic guitars and then electric guitars and then singers to full stage stage productions and bands selling out arenas and and stadiums and that was a massive evolution that hugely helped the the growth of the of a lot of the larger churches over the last 20 30 years and it's an amazing way for anyone to be able to connect and worship through music that's been updated to a modern age that's all it is um whereas it's just taking what hymns and the songs were but updating it so it's parallelizing on the style of of the secular world so for us to have a a music component um was you know and we're always getting requests to have more music and people people love that aspect of it it's a core part of worship and it's something that we'll always have and always invest in and um and love I mean, I'm seeing Glorify Music Festival, you know, come together <laughs> in real life. Um, do you have a favorite hymn? Yeah, I've, I mean, I adore singing hymns, so yes. <laughs> um, Bread of Heaven, sung by the Welsh, is, is you know, there's, there's not much that's going to be that's going to beat that. Um, I doubt to thee, if you're if you're English, you always enjoy enjoy that hymn enjoy that hymn also jerusalem is just a classic it's it's up there for me well we maybe will uh try and intro this pod with a nice hymn uh hymn music um okay fun fun facts uh so the app is first and foremost about getting you into good habits fast curious what habits do you nurture in your life every day that you're willing to share uh, well, habits are hard, aren't they? So it's, they are hard. It's not, yeah. Um, and the problem for me is that me doing my my glorify every day is 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 also me working. So I I actually find that really difficult because I'm always then you know messaging our our team going what about this what about this and that's actually my time when I when I shouldn't be doing that. So I do um, always spend a bit of time with just timing myself I, and I normally listen to to music or I or I do go on to glorify if I'm, um, and try not to message anyone and then I just I, my day is you know the work I find really nourishing I find it really great but it's also sometimes fueled on adrenaline which isn't replenishing it very very much so I think it's it's really important to find things that replenish your soul um, and nourish it as well and work can to a certain degree but it's also can also take out if you're working really hard so and finding those things and for me being out in nature um playing sport surf is a 
I love surfing. I've moved to LA. And so, um, and I surfed when I was in Africa. So I've just really, that's something that I, you've got an hour in the water with nothing distracting you. And I find it a really replenishing and nourishing time for me. And that's really important to get something in every day where I feel that my, my soul is, is being nourished. Love that. And getting that quiet time. I, uh, I try and swim once a week because it is just such a meditative quiet Mm. time. Uh, so I also have something that I've christened as we're on the topic, uh, staring time. So I wake up in the morning and I'll have a coffee or a tea and I just sort of take in the world slowly. And, uh, yeah, so that, that is the habit I'm cultivating on a daily basis just to to share back with you <laughs> i think that's i think that's great i got one of those uh, lockbox phone things mm. and i i put my phone in it for about an hour now you get two emergency buttons to be able to unlock it um only which two. i expected choose wisely we, we, <laughs> yes you can only you only can use it twice until the thing then you have to buy a new one uh, so i thought that would last me about half an hour but i i i love just staring at the ceiling, staring out out of the window, bit of music on. It's so, you know, just that's where you can process your thoughts because I find that when you're working really hard, there's just so much coming in. You need time to for your brain just to catch up and segment everything. I think that's true. It's just actually having thinking time, being able to think <laughs> quietly. Um, oh, so great. Well, well um, just love to touch on just recent progress with the company. You recently raised a Series B from SoftBank's LATAM fund. What led you to prioritize that region over Africa? You know, how, how are you thinking about tackling LATAM and when, when does when does the continent that you love so much come into play? Well, we do have we do have a good user base in in Africa, but you're right. We did we put it in um, into Portuguese was the second language we did after English, and then into Spanish, and we we got so much incredible growth across um, Latin America that we just kept investing into it and building great relationships there and, and partnerships. And it just kept growing from strength to strength. And that, and that was one of our, you know, I remember we had an influencer posting for us over there and um, we kind of fell off our chairs when we saw the results the next day. And it felt like the whole world was coming in at one, over one time crashed all the systems and everything, everything went down, but that was really incredibly exciting. So, you know, obviously, you know, we are, we, we have a, a global mindset and a global view and anyone for around the world can can download it and it's around ensuring that there is education and ways for people to to find out about it and that's just a how we sequence and do that is is what is what we're always working through on a on a company level now everybody who's listening uh, across the globe has heard about Glorify. So uh, thank you, Henry, for this wonderful chat. So awesome to chat with you. And um, yeah, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me and enjoy staring mindlessly out the window. <laughs> I will do. 